And our reading comes to us from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke in the second chapter, beginning at the 22nd verse. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, Mary and Joseph brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, Now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to who all about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Grace to you all in peace from God our Father and our Lord, our newborn Lord and Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. So you all probably noticed Christmas Day just passed, right? Yeah. So, now what? Now what do you do? What do you do with the next year of your life? Some of you are planners. I know people like that. They're already planning next year's Christmas celebration. Already, today. Most of us aren't that way. We're just glad that the hubbub, the shopping, the planning, the cooking, and all the rest of it is over for another year. By this time... All, if now maybe most, if not all, of the presents have been opened and and offered to one another and appreciated. And those big meals have all been finished. Your belt's loosened a little bit for the coming weeks until that extra food goes through your system. And the leftovers are swelling the, the refrigerator just as the previous food is swelling your belt line. And so for us, life goes on. Right? Christmas is over. Life goes on. 
But has anything changed? Is anything different for you since Christmas? Let me draw an analogy to our lives and a, and a Christmas tree, if I might. A live Christmas tree. Because every year, some people still go and get one of those live trees. They love the fragrance in their homes. And they put that live tree in a prominent place, and they try to they do their best to keep it alive all the way through the Christmas season. My family, years ago, used to go out right after Thanksgiving to cut down a live tree. That was our first mistake. Everybody else went to the stores. We went to the, to the tree lot and cut down our tree. Not, not recommended. Because then we tried to keep that tree alive in our home all the way through the season to come. More than a month. We tried all the tricks available. We tried putting aspirin in the water. We tried putting sugar in the water. We put sugar and aspirin in the water. We put Tylenol in the water. Didn't matter. We did whatever it took. We even cut the trunk in a prescribed way so it could have the maximum moisture absorption. We even tried a high-tech automatic watering system, which amounted to a two-liter pop bottle turned upside down and strapped to the tree's trunk. The refrain in our home during December was time after again, did you remember to water the tree? The answer is always the same. Nothing we did worked when it came to keeping that tree alive. The tree began to shed its needles almost right away. We had hoped those needles would stay on the tree all the way through Christmas Day at least, but it never happened. Why did we lose this battle year after year after year? Well, the answer is obvious. From Anybody who knows anything about trees knows the answer. That poor tree had no chance. It was cut off from its roots. It could not be alive. It could not be all the tree it was meant to be. Once the roots were separated from the rest of the tree, those roots were needed to keep it alive. You see, I, see, I think a similar thing happens to us, just like what happens to that tree each year at Christmas. Here's the symptoms. Right about now, people start getting the Christmas blues. Maybe you feel that. You've had this incredible high, this incredible activity level leading up to and through Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, and then all of a sudden you come crashing down because it's just not as exciting. It's different and you're worn out and tired. This happens in large part because we have cut ourselves off from the roots when it comes to understanding Christmas. We've discovered this holiday, or excuse me, we have divorced this this holiday from the rest of our Christian experience. Too often we view Christmas as as this once-in-a-year sort of event, and we get through it. We enjoy it, and we move on. And we don't see Christmas as part of a much bigger picture, a picture of God's saving plan for all of humanity. Because that's what it is. Consider this. Today's gospel continues the Christmas story. As as you heard, Mary and Joseph bring the Christ child to the temple in Jerusalem. They do so according to the law laid down way back in Moses' time. Mary has come for a ritual for herself as well. It was called purification. 
It was performed for women who had just given childbirth. And Jesus was being being bought. (laughs) New tongue, not working this morning. Jesus is being brought to the temple as a firstborn son. And that's an important detail because a firstborn son is always dedicated to God's work in their life. And so it was for Jesus. And none of these things are out of the ordinary, not even the fact that on the eighth day of his life, Jesus is to be circumcised. This is all very ordinary, very normal in first century Judaism until... Simeon and Anna announced that this child is unique. This child is special. This child is of God. And so this text that I read for you this morning helps us connect the Christmas story with the rest of Scripture. It connects us. It connects this story with God's plan for our salvation. Jesus comes to the temple. He's brought by Mary and Joseph, his earthly parents, eight days after his birth. That's precisely what the law required. And then Simeon arrives and he says these words that for those of us who have a few years under under our belts, these words are very familiar. Lord, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. For generations, Lutherans sang that verse. It was called the Nunc Dimittis. We sang it week after week. It was part of our Lutheran liturgy before we sort of pared things down. Simeon sings these things when the Lord Jesus is brought into his presence. But we're not told how in the world this elderly man, who's probably got failing eyesight like I do, possibly knew that this baby coming, doing the ordinary thing that all babies do with their parents at the temple, this baby is unique and special. How did he know? How did he recognize the Christ child? We're only told that through his life, this man Simeon was led by the Spirit, and he was now the witness to the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ in the temple. God's Messiah, promised by the prophets of old, has now entered the world. That's what Simeon is telling us. And he has come to the temple to restore God's presence there. Restore? That was in what I read too. God left the temple? His presence wasn't there? Is that true? The answer is yes. It's absolutely true. God's presence left the temple and we're told about it in Ezekiel's chapter 10. Back when that prophet told us that God's presence left the temple because the people of Israel had turned away from the the Lord God of Israel. The Israelites had not followed God. In fact, they'd found other gods to follow at that point. And because of this atrocious rebellion, God removed his presence from the temple And he did so just as the Babylonians were invading and soon to take the people of Israel into exile. Now understand this, God did not remove his presence from the people of Israel. He simply removed his presence from the temple. And he did this because his people had turned away from him and the people had turned first. The ancient prophets also foretold of a time when God's presence would return. They talked about it for centuries. 
And now it had. God's presence had returned to the temple as Jesus Christ came as that eight-day-old child. Simeon and all the others in the temple that day witnessed God's presence return to the temple after its long absence. But God comes back not in a flashy show, not in fire and lightning and thunder, none of those things. God's presence returns in an eight-day-old baby. It's a miraculous, mysterious showing of God's love and mercy, and it's an important, important fulfillment of all that God had promised for hundreds of years. But don't forget, just coming to the temple meant even more than that, more than God's presence. Remember that the temple was also the place where the sacrifice of lambs took place for the atonement, the the making one of people and God. The atonement of people took place for the Jews. It happened, of course, at Passover, but it happened at other times as well. God had, had established this system of sacrifices way back in the time of Moses. And the shedding of blood. The shedding of blood was always a part of that ritual atonement of sins. And Jesus has now come to the temple as God's presence and also as the Lamb of God. Eight days after his birth, Jesus is circumcised according to the law. He sheds his blood on that day. He does so as part of Jewish ritual, and this foreshadows the ultimate shedding of blood that Jesus will do after his final visit to the temple just outside the walls of Jerusalem where he sheds his blood on the cross as a sacrifice for all of us. But this day, as a baby, Jesus enters his temple and he restores God's presence and he acts as the sacrificial lamb. He is the ultimate sacrifice for the whole world. I give you all of this as a reminder that the Christmas story is rooted, it is connected to God's saving plan, every aspect of it. Christmas is more than just this isolated event, this this blot on the calendar called December 25th. Christmas is an unfolding. It's, It's a fulfilling of what God has been working out since Adam and Eve fell into sin in the garden in the beginning. Christmas is rooted in all time. It's rooted in all of space, and it connects everything with God. Jesus is called Emmanuel because, well, that means God with us. That that shows us that connection God has with all of his created people. He connects us to himself through his life, death, and resurrection. All of this leads to another detail I want to share with you this morning. It's in a detail that allows us to root our life and our faith in the Christmas story. Simeon after he joyously says that he has seen the salvation of the whole world, turns to Mary and says those words that sound so foreboding and mysterious. He says, this child, this child Jesus, is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel. And he's destined to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. And he says to his mother, to Jesus' mother, and a sword will pierce your soul too. Simeon is prophesying what we all know about Jesus. 
Jesus reveals a person's heart. That's not easy for any of us to deal with. Any of us. Our hearts, like the ancient Israelites who were taken into exile by the Babylonians, our hearts are filled with sin and rebellion. We would rather keep our hearts hidden, therefore. But Jesus is the light that shines into the darkness of our hearts. He is the sword that pierces the heart of every believer. And while we don't like to have our hearts revealed, having our hearts opened up to the truth about our own self is is part of the faith formation process that we all wrestle with. We must accept that we are, of our nature, unholy. We are sinful. We are broken people, and we can do nothing about that ourselves. We, We cannot redeem ourselves. We have to face this reality before the gospel of Christ can begin to work as it's intended in our hearts and our minds and show us the true way, the truth, and the life. We confess our sins monthly in our worship on on weeks like next week when we receive the Lord's Supper because doing so brings to us the realization that we are sinful and we desperately need a Messiah to come and save us, save us from ourselves. This revealing of the heart is shown over and over again in Scripture. And it has a message there because we are, un- we are not unlike the very people Scripture presents. Matthew tells us that after Jesus' birth, those wise men traveled to see the baby and, and to visit King Herod. Herod's heart, of course, was revealed, as you know, when the Magi tell him that the king had been born. And, and then Herod's heart was filled with jealousy and pride. And that, brothers and sisters, is why he lied to the wise men. He lied when he said he wanted to worship the newborn king, when really he wanted to kill him. In fact, Herod's hardened heart led him to kill all the innocent babies of Bethlehem because he didn't want to lose his grip on power. It didn't work, but that's what he did. It reveals his heart. The Pharisees and the teachers of their law that Jesus encountered throughout his ministry had their hearts revealed when Jesus challenged their false assumptions and their foolish human pride. They reacted in anger to Jesus in the streets, and then later they conspired to condemn him to death. Even Jesus' disciples' own hearts were revealed as they spent time with the Master. Sometimes they understood what Jesus was teaching to them, And at other times, uh, their sinful side was exposed. Those people who were sick or outcast in the first century society, they had their hearts revealed too. Often when someone was sick and, and approached Jesus, they would shout out, Lord, have mercy on us. We say the same, but that's what they would shout from a distance. And saying that revealed knowledge of their own sin. And... It revealed Jesus' ability to forgive and to show mercy. One centurion, when he was near Jesus, even said publicly that he was not worthy to have Christ enter his home. The hearts of all these people show their sinfulness, but also their knowledge that Jesus is the one from God and that only he could show mercy to them and to bring light into the darkness of their hearts. Their only hope, in short, 
was, in fact, the light of Christ. Our hearts, brothers and sisters, our hearts are also revealed as we sink our roots deep into the words of Jesus Christ. Our sinfulness becomes painfully clear when we do these things. And then, do we turn away and hide our hearts in the darkness, or do we go through the pain of being revealed so that we can experience the greater peace of being forgiven and healed by the sword that is Jesus Christ? Remember, Christmas is more than just a cute story that we remember to share with one another another each year. Christmas changes our lives. It changes our lives as we sink our roots deep into into the faith of Christianity and more deeply into the soil of Scripture. Christmas is eye-opening as the Holy Spirit enlightens us to the unimaginable magnitude of God's love and mercy for us, and it does so again and again and again. Christmas provides the beginning of the profound mystery that God loves us so much that he became one of us, takes the place of us on the cross, and then rises again to give everlasting life to each and all of us. So I implore you this Christmas, don't cut off your celebration of this glorious event we call Christmas at the roots. Don't cut it off there. Instead, dig deep. Dig deep into Scripture, into the marvelous story of God's salvation that nourishes us constantly. In short, be rooted and live. Amen.